If you don't already know, Clubhouse is a brand new social media platform. It's referred to as drop-in audio. It's something between a podcast and talk radio. There are hundreds and hundreds of rooms going on at any given time, uh, all different subjects hosted by all different people. I host a couple of different rooms on Clubhouse uh, throughout the week, one on Mondays and then one on Thursdays. And the one on Thursday is really, really special. It's called Hospitality and Tech. I am endlessly fascinated by this intersection of technology and hospitality, using technology to make our restaurants more efficient, more profitable, to help create a better guest experience. The interesting thing is that our industry is notoriously slow in adopting new technologies, and I want to share some thoughts with you this week. Uh, not just my opinions, but some of the insights uh, that my co-hosts have shared over the past few months in that hospitality and tech room. I'll start by saying this, and it turns into a question. Not all restaurants are created equal, so why do we so often apply this one-size-fits-all approach uh, to, to solving uh, what we have, which are complicated problems? We're going to work through a couple of different problems, and I promise we're going to come out with some insights on the other side. This is a good one, I promise. Stick around. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast all about helping chefs and operators build more profitable restaurants. Each week we toggle back and forth between a monologue style format and an interview, but the goal is always the same, to take complicated marketing concepts and make them both understandable and actionable. Why? Because like I always say, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, this week's episode is sponsored by Seven Rooms, a guest experience and retention platform for the hospitality industry. From neighborhood restaurants and bars to international multi-concept hospitality groups, their data-driven platform empowers operators to build more profitable, direct relationships, deliver exceptional experiences, and increase repeat visits and orders. With a full suite of products, including reservation, waitlist and table management, online ordering, review aggregation, and marketing automation, Seven Rooms is the perfect choice for helping you gain a 360-degree view of your guests across both on and off-premise. Book a demo with Seven Rooms today and receive an Amazon gift card for $50 simply by booking the demo. Simply email sevenrooms at Hello at try7rooms.com with restaurant strategy in the subject line. I will, of course, include that information in the show notes. Now, I believe the success of restaurants relies on our ability to treat each concept, each level of dining, each market just a bit differently. Like I said at the top, we can't keep taking this one-size-fits-all approach. I believe technology can help with this if we let it. 
Now, over the course of this episode, I'm going to share a bunch of different stories. Some of them are case studies, some are uh, admittedly anecdotal, uh, but they're all meant to show you how different uh, concepts, how different levels, uh, styles of dining are incorporating technology to uh, to do these three things, right? Which is to uh, cut expenses, drive more revenue, and create a better guest experience. I'm going to start off in uh, QSR, right? The, the QSR, fast food, quick service restaurants. This whole industry is really being turned upside down right now in case you you haven't noticed by the adoption of kiosk service. It is happening now uh, much quicker than it was, and yet this is not a new thing. Um, I'll remind you, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia, uh, so we've got Wawa's down there, you know, the little um, uh, gas stations and convenience stores, and they rolled out their kiosk service, I don't know, they were way ahead of the curve, maybe 15 or 20 years ago. So you used to go up to the counter and tell them what kind of hoagie you want, and they would make it for you and hand you the sandwich. Now, no more. You go up to the kiosk, you type in what, uh, what sandwich you want, you pick from you know a bunch of different images and displays. Uh, they make it for you and then put it up. It's a it's a smoother way of operating. It allows them to cut down on um, on labor uh, and it makes for uh, for a much more efficient operation. Uh, we were just driving. Uh, we were at a wedding just last week and we were driving through and Sheets is all across um, kind of you know Pennsylvania, Maryland, all of that. And uh, they do a very very similar thing. It was a streamlined service. In fact, they used automation at a bunch of different points in that. Uh, but that's probably for a different day because uh, they. They had automated the, the car wash that was connected. They had automated their whole coffee maker. They had a separate one uh, that automated cappuccinos and lattes. And then, of course, they had the kiosk service for you to order your sandwiches and, and things like that. But today I want to tell you about McDonald's, right? I want to tell you uh, something that McDonald's learned about 12 years ago. So here's the thing with McDonald's, right? They're a huge giant. And, and so take what you will from this, uh, from this story and apply what you can, what's valuable to your own um, to your own uh, industry, to your own market, to your own concept. But about 12 years ago, uh, McDonald's looked around and saw kiosks started to be implemented, and they decided to uh, roll out kiosk service in a handful of their um, of their units. Uh, most notably here in New York City, uh, in uh, Times Square, and also down in Union Square, two uh, pretty big uh, properties. They introduced um, they introduced kiosk service. So, the number one reason that people didn't shop or didn't uh, become a customer of McDonald's, surprisingly enough, and maybe this uh, maybe this won't surprise you, is when people walked in and they saw a long line and they went, oh, I don't have time to wait in, the, in this long line. I'll just go and you name, the, you, you fill in the blank, one of the competitors nearby, a Taco Bell, a Burger King, a Wendy's, uh, you name it, right? Usually fast food restaurants are kind of all together. Uh, they're all nearby. So McDonald's realized that the number one way that they were losing revenue was people walking in, seeing a long line, and leaving. So they decided to come up with these kiosks. Instead of you know three or four people at registers at the front, they could put in maybe six or eight kiosks, big, large, picture, you know, big screen TVs. I'm sure many of you guys out there have seen these, right? So they're uh, big screen TVs, you know, 50-inch TV turned vertical uh, for all intents and purposes. Uh, and it's a touch screen. You can go in and order your own food, especially with, with McDonald's. People pretty much have their favorites. They know what they order. Um, so it, it was easy to just have people do that. So you order your food. Um, you pay right there at the kiosk. You, put, you hit submit, and you take a number. You take a number to the table, and they come find you, right? So that was, a, that was something that they learned from Panera. Panera Bread had uh, famously done that, I don't know, 20 years ago when they started. Um, you know, you came up to the register. You ordered their food. They gave you a number, and somebody would bring it to you. So you weren't ordering with a waiter, but you did have a runner running your food. Now, 
McDonald's looked at this and just thought, hey, we can implement that. Number one, the biggest problem they were looking to solve is they didn't want people to come in and see long lines. So instead of four registers, you put in six or eight kiosks and they move a little bit faster. And suddenly, um, even if there are the same number of people, quote unquote, waiting in line, it doesn't look like this crush, like this big, long line, because there may be two people waiting at each kiosk or three people waiting at each kiosk. And you go, oh, I only got a couple people ahead of me. That that won't take that long. I'll just, um, I'll just wait in line. So number one, it gave the impression of a shorter wait time. Number two, it actually did really cut down on weights. And so um, McDonald's used it first and foremost to keep um, to keep uh, people in the store, to get them to come in the store and uh, and become customers. Right? They did it to drive revenue. Interestingly enough, they also found that those kiosks were driving. They could optimize them to drive ten to fifteen percent more revenue per order, which is huge when you think about that on a global scale, as big as McDonald's in is, even at the uh, at the unit level, right? 10% increase, 15% increase in revenue is a huge, huge uh, surplus. It, you know, it really helps with profitability. So number one, they did it to get to capture more business, but then it was able to drive more business because they could optimize the experience, right? It was easier to upsell, to get people to get one more thing, to, um, to make suggestions, to, you know, again, they could optimize the user experience. Then the third thing that they looked to do is they uh, is they looked to cut down on labor, right? They thought, hey, well, if we've got all these people, uh, you know, we used to have all these people at the registers, and now we've got kiosks, in essence, doing this job, but we should be able to run with fewer people, right? And that makes sense. I think there's, a, there's some rationale to that. However, what happened with McDonald's is they realized it didn't lose, they didn't cut payroll at all. What they did is they reallocated that personnel, the human capital. So interestingly enough, if the number one reason that people didn't come into McDonald's is because of the long lines, they felt like the wait was going to be too long. The number two reason was that people walked in and the place looked kind of dirty or it was already full, that they weren't going to have somewhere to sit and enjoy, that by the time they went up, got their food, and then tried to find a seat, there wouldn't be any seats. Uh, and so what they did is they took those people who were at the register ringing in your order and they reallocated them and they had them sweeping the place and they were they became maniacal about keeping the place tidy. Now, you know, clean, yes, but tidy, you know, getting rid of wrappers and empty uh, ketchup packs and soda uh, soda cups and wiping things down so it looked fresh and new and clean. And they had people circling all the time, all the time, all the time. So you came in, it didn't look like you were going to have to wait in line. Great. So we've, uh, we've uh, defeated that obstacle. And then you look around and you say, yep, it looks like there's plenty of places. Uh, I'm going to be able to find a seat. I will continue forward and keep placing my order. Now, the last thing that they wanted to do was improve the guest experience, and it improved their net promoter score um, overwhelmingly because nobody wants to wait in line, especially it's fast food. Um, by definition, you want to come in and get your food and go or come and get your food, eat and go. And so any time that they could save there or the impression of saving time uh, it was was going to be a win in, that, in their category. So they improved the guest experience because it was fun to use the key. Kiosks. Uh, it seemed like you were waiting less time for your food. So it was a win, win, win. And again, the interesting thing was, is they thought they were going to be able to cut payroll and they didn't at all. But what they did was reallocate that, uh, that payroll expense um, and use it to really to drive more revenue. So that's one way uh, that fast food, for example, is using kiosk service. And again, I gave the example of Wawa and uh, Sheets just this past weekend as I was traveling for this wedding. There are tons of other um, 
There are tons of other concepts that are discovering this same fact, that it is a better guest experience, it cuts down on lines, it drives more revenue, and it allows you to use your human capital in more intelligent ways. Um, Shake Shack, uh, famously, over the last two or three years, has started experimenting with kiosk service. You better believe it is all starting to happen. Now, I think the flaw with this is when you simply offer it as an option, right? So you can go into McDonald's and you can either place your order at the kiosk or you can go to the to the register. However, they make it absolutely clear that what you should do is use the kiosk, right? They are pushing you with the way that it's presented. Say, use the kiosk. It's more fun at the kiosk. It's easier at the kiosk. It's more convenient at the kiosk. We want you to use the kiosk because they they put those kiosks front and center when you walk in. So if you want to go to the register, you got to walk past all those kiosks really deep into the store to get to the register. And so it's set up to tell you what they want you to do. So if you are going to do kiosk service or if you're going to offer kiosk service in your restaurant, I think uh, it's really important that you make it known that that's the best way, the most convenient way. That's the way that you want people uh, to order with you. That's the way you want them to engage with the ordering process. Otherwise, it's never going to take off. There's that idea, right? This um, uh, uh, Tony Robbins always talks about it, right? You got to burn the boats. If you're going to take the island, you got to burn the boats so there are no, there's no option of retreat. You got to take the, you got to take the island or you got to capture the island or you're going to die on the island. And so that, that, that do or die mentality, um, is, is really valuable in business, in life, in, uh, and, and certainly, um, in the adoption of technology. So that's my McDonald's story. Now, in addition to that, I want you to think back over everything we've learned over this pandemic, right? Think through everything we've learned. Think what your guests have learned. Think about what you've gotten accustomed to, things that you didn't do a year ago, two years ago, that now uh, comes second nature, right? I'm, I'm talking about QR codes specifically, and then I want to use this to get into uh, talking about uh, table ordering, right? This idea of how an opera, how the steps of service goes when you sit down at the restaurant. But first and foremost, QR codes. Now, QR codes have been around for 10, 15, 20 years at this point, right? Now we're getting into also NFC um, technology, right? Near, near field communication. These are all coming. They're on the cusp. Um, uh, Asia has adopted NFC technology uh, in a really, really big way. I think the United States is just lagging a little bit. Uh, and we could talk about the reasons why that is, but it is coming. And I think it is going to be uh, really helpful um, to our lives, to the daily our daily lives and the convenience, uh, the conveniences that we have. And I think it can be be a very big part of our business. Now, listen, two weeks ago, I was uh, meeting friends at Madison Square Park here in New York City, and that's where the original Shake Shack is located. And we were going to come to a picnic, right? We were all going to, uh, we were going to meet there, and then we were going to get, there are all these different food options all around, uh, all around the uh, the park there. And so my friends went to one place. Uh, it was an Indian place, a uh, uh, a fast casual or a quick service um, Indian place um, that had actually, over the course of the pandemic, done away with register service. You now cannot order with a human being. You have to order on kiosks. I was thrilled to see it. The experience was really, um, was tightly optimized. It was fun. It was engaging and it was quick. Um, you could do then without a person having to, to take your order and to uh, take payment. The computer can very efficiently and effectively do that. So they went there to this Indian concept and we went to Shake Shack. My wife, uh, my son and I went there 
and we we get in line and there's if you've been to the original Shake Shack right if you've been to any Shake Shack there's always a line but the original one in Madison Square Park especially on a Saturday afternoon um, and beautiful weather uh, there is a line there's always going to be a line so there we are we, we went and we got in line and I remember thinking I said you know what I bet you there's a QR code up front or, or I bet you I can download uh, there's got to be like an app or a way to order online. So I took a, you know, my wife and my son were in line and I said, let me, let me just wander up front. Sure enough, there's a big sign there. It says, you know, uh, you know, wait in line or you can download our app and order there. And so I scanned the QR code that took me to the app store where I could download the app. And in five minutes time, I had gotten all of our orders placed. I had paid for it and sent it in there. And in the time that it took the uh, the counter the people at the register to get two parties in the uh, at the window we had already ordered and picked up our food i literally would have been two patrons closer to the window i would have been in line for another half an hour at least and here i got my food in about i don't know 11 minutes between ordering paying and it, and it you know, coming up into the window. And I sat there and I looked at all of the people waiting in line and I thought, why would you wait in line? The experience, uh, that that transaction of, of talking to somebody at the window isn't so great that you need to wait in line, that you need to delay your lunch, that you need to, you know, we don't have to, there's there's nothing, there's no value they're adding at the window. They're, they're not improving the experience, uh, not one bit. I don't understand why we wouldn't just use it. And so I say this because there is an opportunity here. There's a blue ocean wide open. Again, it was a better guest experience for me because I could order very simply. I could uh, confirm that all my food was going to be correct. Uh, there wasn't that uh, that translation thing where I say something and maybe and maybe the person mishears me and types it in wrong and then I get the wrong thing. I type it all in. I can confirm there. Uh, that everything I wanted, I have ordered, um, I can pay, I can hit submit. And again, I got my food that much faster. I got my food and then we could go over and start our picnic and uh, and I could get back to my friends. I didn't need to uh, spend any more time than I absolutely had to with the Shake Shack people. What I really wanted to do was catch up with uh, this other couple that we were hanging out with. So QR codes are here, right? Apps are here. And, and, and I think... Um, and I think you need to figure out ways to make sure you're utilizing it. Think about that guest experience, that waiting in line at the for the food truck, that waiting in line for the um, for the coffee shop, for the breakfast sandwiches, for the burgers at Shake Shack. I think there's a way of improving it, uh, not only for you, making it more efficient uh, for your property, but making a better guest experience. Are you seeing the common threads here, right? The three things we're after is cutting expenses, driving revenue, and improving the guest experience. And if you can do all three of those things, you will have built a very, very, very successful business. If you make a better guest experience, people are going to be apt to come back. They're going to be apt to talk about you and rave about the experience, much like I'm doing right now. The experience of ordering on the Shake Shack app was far superior to waiting in line. And in, in essence, I just jumped the other 12 people in line and got my food that much faster and I could go over and enjoy it. So technology is here. Kiosks. QR codes, again, NFC technology. We'll spend an entire episode coming up on that because I'm learning more and more about it and I'm really, really fascinated. I wanna, I wanna switch gears here and to talk about table ordering, right? So either by, uh, by your phone, by your smartphone or via iPad uh, that the restaurant would provide or, or some device, I should say, some maybe some cloud-based device. I think there are three key ways 
um, the, again, that we can improve the guest experience and help uh, reduce expenses. And yet, as an industry, I'm, I'm blown away at, at how slow we are to adopting them. Everything we learned over the course of the pandemic, and now as the restrictions are being lifted, we go right back to the way things were. And what do we hear about right now? You hear about this staffing crunch. I can't find staff. I can't find enough staff. And all I can think to myself is, all the things you learned in the pandemic showed you how to do more with less, that you we, we missed the lessons of the pandemic, I think, in, in a large way. So we can't find staff. Of course you can't. It was hard to find staff a year and a half ago. We just forgot about it. And we thought that would uh, magically disappear uh, post-pandemic. But over the course of the pandemic, I think a lot of people who weren't dying to work in the restaurant industry figured out where the, else they could use their skills. And they said, well, I don't need to be in restaurants necessarily. I could go do this over here. Um, and, and certainly your, your skill set applies. For example, like a sommelier, right? Now, if you're a sommelier, you've learned a ton about wine. And I'm sure you're passionate about wine and you really want to be talking about wine and tasting wine and and helping people enjoy wine as a living but um there are other skills that a sommelier has right they're good salesmen they're charismatic they're um they're quick learners they're uh, they're encyclopedic uh base of knowledge right those skills do translate to other things, right? Uh, being a good salesman, being charismatic, good with people, uh, those have direct applications in other industries. So let's say perhaps you weren't dying to be a sommelier for the rest of your life. You could easily take that skill set, those skills that you honed as a sommelier and apply them to something else, uh, something else really valuable that maybe you do just as well and that you you find a passion for, right? Over the past year, we have discovered technology uh, our people have discovered other avenues. And so why would we expect to come back and have it be just the same way it was, right? There was a staffing crunch in, 20, in 2019 and early 2020. Uh, it's it's baffling to me uh, that we just thought it would disappear. So I invite you, and I did an entire episode about this, so I'm not going to dive too deep into it, but I invite you to rethink how we use waiters in our restaurants. So let, let me talk to you what, about what I'm working on, what I think is totally possible. So I've said this before, and apologies if you've already heard it, but a waiter's job, as it is uh, defined right now, as we all think of it, uh, is wildly inefficient. Half their night is spent at a table copying down somebody's order or over at the computer in the corner, um, tapping that order, uh, tapping that order in. Half their night is spent not doing uh, the things that they do really well, which is to be personable, welcoming, to exude hospitality, uh, to answer questions, to upsell, to guide people through the experience, uh, to anticipate when they're ready for another glass of wine, to be there to pour off a bottle of wine at just the right second so you can get a second bottle onto the table uh, before the entrees hit, um, to be there to, to, to notice the cues when people are looking around. You can you can tell when, when they're uncomfortable, when they're unhappy, when, um, you know, when, when, it's, when they're cold, right? But you can't can't do that and no waiter can do that if they're stuck at a table and even if they notice that somebody looks unhappy at the next table they're already engaged with the table that they're at taking an order and so they can't excuse themselves to go over and, and check with a guest right if they're over huddled over the the computer in the corner they are focused on what they're doing they're trying to get that order in as quickly as possible and you know uh, as a waiter uh, when you've got to modify any of those items with their allergies or substitutions or or any of those things it takes time all the time they spent copying something down 
and tapping that into a computer over in the corner is a waste, just like with McDonald's, right? So the way that McDonald's was is you walked in and you talked to somebody at the register. The person at the register was sitting there right in front of the computer. The register was a computer. You tell them what they what you want, they type it in. You tell them what else you want, they type it in. You tell them something else you want, they type it in. Maybe they ask a question like, would you like fries with that or would you like me to supersize that? And, uh, and you answer and that's about as much upselling or, or hospitality as they're providing. Maybe they're asking you what kind of dipping sauces you want for your uh, chicken nuggets. But for the most part, we discovered, and McDonald's discovered this, and other brands are discovering, that we can take the person out of that interaction. We can just have the guest uh, relate, interact, engage directly with the computer. That's kiosk service, right? Instead of telling somebody and having them type it into the kiosk, they just turned it around and said, here's the kiosk. You know how to do it because we all got smartphones. We all got computers. We all got iPads. We can figure out how to do it ourselves. And in fact, it's a more enjoyable experience, I would argue, to do it that way, right? The same, I believe, is true for restaurants. Now, let me say, not all restaurants. I think we're certainly going to want uh, certain restaurants to, to provide all of those steps of service. We're going to want the, the the waiters, the captains, the bussers, the runners, all of that. But but now we're talking about fine dining. I think fine dining, if I'm, if I'm being really honest, I think in the next 10 years, there's going to be a division that we're going to pay extra for that luxury of having a person wait on us, to be there, to, to get us every little thing we need to answer every little question. And I think there are tons of other concepts, other restaurants that don't need waiters in that way. So what I'm working on now is that uh, what happens if you take um, uh, you know, a floor restaurant that usually has, let's say, 12 waiters, and you cut that down to four waiters, right? And you have those waiters act like, uh, little uh, mini managers in their station, and you have them act primarily as food runners, right? So we're cutting all of that payroll because we're going to introduce table ordering to the table, right? Either through a QR code where they order on their phone, or we're going to provide uh, tablets, right? Devices that they can order directly from there, right? And and we provide service around that. I think this is where this idea has fallen flat. A lot of the um, uh, a lot of the airports have done this sort of thing, and this thing has fallen flat. It hasn't succeeded because what they did is they just uh, introduced all the iPads and removed all of the service, removed all of the hospitality. And what I'm suggesting for restaurants is they still have a waiter. You still have first approach. But instead of walking up and saying, hey, you know, welcome to Restaurant XYZ. I'm Chip. I'll be taking care of you. Uh, what, what can I get everyone to drink? Uh, the script changes. It says, hey, welcome to Restaurant X, Y, and Z. I'm Chip. I'll be taking care of you. Have you been here recently? Oh, no, not in a little while. Great. So now we do table ordering. It's very easy. You're going to handle all of the ordering on your own. Um, once you open a tab, of course, I can access uh, your check. I can order things in, but you're 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 invited and, and and really urged to order it all yourself. It's really fun. It's really easy. Let me show you how it works. Right. So instead of guiding people through the menu, which they will also do, uh, but they're there to guide them through how to how to do this thing. Once you teach someone how to do it and they get good at it, they're going to have fun doing it. They're going to look forward to doing it. And then so now I, I told you the, the, the two biggest uh, obstacles that McDonald's was facing. Right. Number one is that the lines were too long. And so people didn't want to wait. They just walked right out the door. And number two, they came in, but they lo it looked like they weren't going to be able to find a place to sit because there were wrappers and and soda and, and maybe a spill and maybe people hanging around. And so McDonald's figured out a way by introducing kiosk service to solve both of those problems, uh, the, the second one in kind of a roundabout way. Now I'm going to introduce you to the two biggest issues that plague uh, restaurants. This is well documented. We 
know this. Consumers all across, industry-wide, complain about these two things in this order. Number one, it took too long, meaning food took too long. My drinks too, too, took too long uh, to arrive. It took too long. It took too long to get the check. And then the second one is I couldn't find my waiter. I couldn't find my server. And those two also, as you can imagine, go hand in hand. Um, I asked for the check and it never came. And then I couldn't find my waiter um, to ask for it again. Um, you know, I was ready for a glass of wine, but I couldn't find my waiter. And then when I did, it just took too long to get it. So they waited and then they waited again. But if you give people, if you empower them to place their order for their next glass of wine directly on their phone or on the, the tablet that's on the table, it's so easy. Then they say, you know, I'm ready for another glass of wine. Who's ready for another glass of wine? Let me, let me order another round. The order has been placed. It goes to the printer at the bar. Bartender delivers stuff. And then whoever's there, right, you put a system in place uh, where there are like drink runners so that the servers are always stopping by the service bar and they see a tray of drinks. They say, oh, great. I'll run this to table 12. Oh, I'll run this to table 32. I'll run this to table uh, 34. It, it's so easy to set up and to establish it this way. It's all in how you roll it out. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say again that the idea behind this, that I think the way to make it work is adopting this, uh, this burn the boats mentality, right? The fact that, um, that, that if we want to take the island, we have to make sure there is no way to retreat. We have to make this part of the thing. Now, I'm not suggesting this is right for every restaurant. I'm not suggesting this is right for your restaurant. I'm not suggesting that this is right for your entire restaurant, but... I would say think about if this is right for a certain section of your restaurant. Maybe the, uh, maybe it's table ordering in the bar or the lounge. Maybe outdoors, out you know, on the outside patio is all table ordering. There are no waiters out there, and at least not in the traditional sense. There's someone who's going to check in on you, greet you, make sure you're you know you're there. Um, but if you can uh, if you can release your waiters from doing these kind of menial tasks of just copying down someone's order and regurgitating that into the computer, well, then they are there to greet another table, um, to be there to clear, to pre-bus uh, so you can turn tables faster. They're there to anticipate because they'll be able to be in their station and they can see when this person's ready for another glass of wine. Again, to pour off the bottle of wine at just the right moment because we know four out of five tables will decline a bottle of wine if you pour it off in the middle of entrees and say, "Are you? would you like another? Four out of five people will say no. Three out of five tables will say yes if you pour off that first bottle before the entrees arrive. It is well documented. There is data, hard data to prove that that's the case. So if you can put your servers in the position to do that, you will drive more sales. You will be able to cut expenses and you will create a better guest experience, which of course is what we're all after to make a more profitable, busier restaurant. Today's sponsor, Seven Rooms, is changing the way we engage with our guests. They are a software company, a technology company. Uh, I'm lucky to have their support. I have their support because they have my support. I love their platform. I recommend their platform all the time. I have moved numerous clients onto seven rooms and every property I open, and I'm opening two of them in the fall, and they are all going to be on seven rooms. I believe in it that much. When it comes to technology, seven rooms is doing something revolutionary, and I believe it's going to change the industry again if we let it. 
on the surface, they are a table management software, right? A, a competitor to OpenTable and Resi and Talk. But when you look below the hood, you're going to find a really powerful CRM software, right? So customer relations management, you're going to learn more about your, uh, your guests. It integrates seamlessly with your POS software. So not only are you going to see uh, how often someone comes, uh, but you're going to be able to see what they spend when they come. All of that data gets pulled right into seven rooms. So you get a really, really great uh, view um, of your um, of your customer base, right? So two main computers in every restaurant, POS and reservations, and Seven Rooms brings those two together and integrates the data. And this, again, is another important way that restaurants can step up their game. When we talk about hospitality and technology, um, it's so, so important to, to move on. So really what I want to do, and it's important you understand this, I want us to let computers do the things that computers do well so that we can let the humans do the things that only humans can do. So I've told this story before. I'm going to keep it really short. Apologies if you've heard it before, uh, but this one is also important. So Nick Akonis was interviewed twice on the Tim Ferriss podcast, and on his first appearance, he talked about the launch of Talk. So Nick is one of the co-owners of the Alinea Restaurant Group out in Chicago, and he's also the co-founder of Talk. It's a ticketing software for restaurants. The idea being that you don't reserve a table, you prepay for your meal. So it's not meant for every restaurant, again, but for a certain kind of restaurant, it makes a lot of sense. Again, it's similar to uh, buying a ticket to a rock concert. You'd you'd buy a ticket to dinner. That's what Talk suggests. Now, they were looking at the Amazon model and they wanted to sell cookbooks. And so this is all about this idea of customer centricity. And I'll remind you back on episode number 93, I interviewed Peter Fader. He's the professor from Wharton. And he talks about this idea of CLV, customer lifetime value. And he talked about frequency, recency, and monetary spend. This is something that Amazon does re really well. We know this, right? Your Amazon homepage is very different than mine. So now what did Alinea do? Alinea said, you know, since you prepay for your tickets, people already have their wallet out and they say, okay, dinner at Alinea is, let's say $275 per person. So I'm going to make a reservation for two. I do that. And they said, great. Uh, are you ready to pay? And then they had a checkout process and they said, you know, would you like to add, uh, now they offer wine pairings uh, in the checkout process. So you can prepay for the wine pairing. Uh, and most notably what they did is uh, they wanted to be able to pre-sell uh, cookbooks. And so they had a little pop-up in the checkout process. So would you like a copy, a signed copy of Grant Ackett's cookbook waiting for you at the table? And you were already paying five, $600 for dinner. And you thought, sure, what's another 50 bucks? And the chef's going to sign it for me. Maybe uh, I'll get to meet him and he'll sign it for me. He'll personalize it. Yeah, that'd be really cool. The person I'm bringing to dinner is going to be super impressed. They are going to get a real kick out of this. This will be great. In that first year, Nick was saying on this podcast, they drove over $400,000 in revenue just from cookbook sales in the checkout process. So that's not $400,000 in cookbook sales. They sold cookbooks in other areas as well. But just by adding this one feature, just by adding this one feature, they drove $400,000 uh, in revenue. Now, when I heard that episode, I went to my boss uh, at the restaurant where I was working at the time, and, and I shared the news. I, I made him listen to that section of the podcast. And uh, at the time, we were working with Seven Rooms, and actually, uh, Seven Rooms has a very similar feature. Now, we didn't want to sell cookbooks. Instead, we were coming up to Valentine's Day, and we wanted to sell bonbons. So we made these beautiful handcrafted chocolates in-house, and we were selling them for $35 a box. 
I said, hey, let's sell them in the checkout process. Let's do the same thing. Would you like a box of chocolates waiting for you at the table? It was a no-brainer. Nearly 30% of the tables took us up on that offer. And guess what? We sold a bunch more the night of when people walked in and saw all these tables preset with the boxes of chocolates. What are they, someone would ask. We would tell them and ask if they'd like a box brought to the table. Of course they did. But think about this another way. What if a waiter greeted the table and asked, hey, welcome to Alinea. Would you like to purchase a signed copy of the chef's cookbook? No way. It feels salesy. It feels gross, right? This is one area where actually the computers can do it better than we can. And then, then the waiter can focus on doing what they can do and only they can do, which is provide exceptional service, which is to exude hospitality. Remember, we are running a business. We generate revenue. We need to generate revenue, but there are tools at our disposal to help us do that. Over the next five to 10 years, I think we're going to see a divide in dining. Waiters, at least as we know them right now, will be a luxury reserved for fine dining and specific sorts of experiences. Why? Because we can replicate their job much more efficiently with waiters. The parts of their jobs that can't be replicated, we need them to do, and we need to put them in a position to be able to do that better than they've ever done it. Now, why do I tell you all of this? Because I want you to be more deliberate with your business. Do you have waiters because you need them? Or do you have them just because that's the way it's always been done? If you have two waiters a night at $15 an hour working an eight-hour shift, that's $240 a day. Over the course of uh, the week, it's almost $1,700 in hourly pay. Uh, over a 90-day period, it's more than $20,000. You could invest in kiosks or table ordering software for half that and save nearly $60,000 by the end of year one, and that is just year one. Yes, it takes work and coordination. You're going to have to think outside the box and, and problem solve, but I promise you it is possible. I am seeing that firsthand. The whole point of this podcast is to help chefs and operators build more profitable restaurants, food, beverage, labor, all going up. What do you think is going to happen to rent prices in two years? Up. Technology is upending other industries like retail, medicine, education, and I promise it will do the same to hospitality, but we have to embrace it. Those who do embrace it will win. Those who don't will be left on the side of the road. This week, I want you to think about the inefficiencies in your restaurant. What are the things we're thinking about? What are the problems that need fixing? Identify them first. That's what I want you to do. That's your first step, and we'll address the and we'll address them in the coming weeks. Now, before I let you go, I want to remind you that I'm taking on four new clients starting this summer, and to get started, I'm offering a free 60-minute consultation to anyone who's interested. Simply email me directly, chip at chipclose.com, C-H-I-P-K-L-O-S-E.com. We'll set up a time that's convenient for both of us and then go from there. Again, those 60 minutes are absolutely free. There is no pressure to move forward with ongoing coaching unless you absolutely want to. At the very least, it's a great opportunity for me to learn more about you and your business, and I promise you're going to come away with some key insights to apply directly to your business, even if you don't move forward with coaching. Again, I'm looking to take on just four new clients starting this summer. To get started, I'm offering up a free consultation call. Simply email me, chip at chipclose.com. Uh, that is being listed in the show notes, so you don't have to scribble it down. Again, another big thank you to Seven Rooms. They're a crucial sponsor for this show, offering creative solutions to important problems, and I hope you'll go learn more about them. Know that I work long and hard to find sponsors for this podcast that I know 
like, and trust. For me, it's about building relationships with all of you out there listening uh, and then being able to introduce you to brands uh, worth working with, worth collaborating with, introducing you to products that I know will make your lives easier and your businesses more profitable. That's it for this week. Stay creative and I will see you next time. Restaurant Strategy is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors as well as our Patreon supporters. A special shout out to all of our gold and platinum members, Ty Hames, Bob and Kate Carpenter, Scott Middleton, Chuck and Denise Close, Stephen and Ann Fagan, Mario D'Amatos, and Christopher Tana. If you want to become a supporter, please go visit patreon.com slash restaurant strategy. Again, the link is in the show notes.